Hello? It's not over. You are our last chance. How do we end this? You have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp. Like blood. Do you have a better idea? Maybe. Who are you? Nick Good. Bad things always happen to shady siders. You feel it, don't you? There's something holding us down. Who's seen us? Run! One way or another, you're gonna die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary, it's a map. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cats. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, disco lovers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How are you doing? Disco lovers. I'm <laughs> <laughs> doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, also joining us as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on, everyone? All right. And then joining us also, we have a special guest returning to Fresh Cuts for the first time in a while. You should recognize her as one half of Cut to the Chase, as well as they're here. Slumber Party Massacre and what else? Skip to the Lou. It's Lacey Lou. What's up, Lacey? How are you doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. It was it was getting to the point where like you do so many shows now that I was like oh no I'm trying to do it off the top of my head did I forget something but I I think I got them all <laughs> you did <laughs> yeah very busy podcasting lately <laughs> <laughs> all right so when we ended the last episode you know we were kind of I would say seventy five percent sure we were gonna do this movie but not a hundred percent but yes it's it is. Uh, the case we are doing the second part uh, to Fear Street, or the proper title as it is, Fear Street Part 2, 1978. So we'll just get right into it. Uh, synopsis of IMDb Shady Side 1978, school's out for summer, and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another Shady Sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. Wow, okay, that's pretty involved synopsis there um all right so general thoughts kick it to venom fear street part two 1978 what did you think all right well before i start my general thoughts i do want to caveat this with something i am probably the only one on the show who's actually lived through 1978 and has vivid memories of that year so please excuse me if I sound like a crotchety old man while I'm reviewing this movie. I don't want it to I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, yelling at you to get off my lawn, but when a movie is going to claim to be a period piece and it's a period that, you know, I have lived through as a movie viewer, I'm kind of looking at that stuff. So here we go, folks. Fear Street Part 2 1978. 
just about nothing in this film feels like 1978 other than the score. Um, they updated the dialogue big time. Kids just did not talk like this in the 70s. It was a way more looser tongue. These kids are very obviously reading a script, a very Hollywoodized script, um, which in, you know, in the, in the long and the short of it, it it's going to be a minor gripe, but it's still going to be a gripe. Um, I went to summer camp in the summer of 1978. And um, though a lot of the camp does feel very reminiscent of that time period, it's kind of missing a lot. And, Ultimately, and I think a lot of people are going to agree with me, this movie feels way more an homage to the 80s than 1978. Um, the very Friday the 13th-esque score throughout a lot of the camp scenes are going to give you that vibe. Um, there's elements of the burning in here, elements of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, and Sleepaway Camp is a great example, by the way, uh, of how kids kind of naturally talked in the late 70s, early 80s. Go watch Sleepaway Camp. Go watch The Burning. That'll give you a little bit more accurate portrayal of kids at camp. Now, with that also being said, um, the pacing in this movie, I think, is going to be a big issue for a lot of people. Uh, we we go almost a solid 45 minutes before there's any kind of on-screen horror or kills or anything. We get a lot of character development here. Now, that is not a complaint, mind you. We, you, all, you guys all know I love my slow burns. I love my character studies. So I'm just warning some horror fans that as fun as part one was, part two is equally fun, potentially even more fun, but there is a much longer waiting period to get to it. You're talking about 45 minutes of solid character development, relationship development, um, you know, all those kind of things. So just be prepared for that kind of stuff. Um I mentioned the 90s aesthetic during part one and how I thought it was a little thick. I still kind of feel like that with this movie, but it's not nearly as bad because it's only the music in this movie. Whereas with the last one, I felt like they got the dialogue a little bit more accurate, fashions, things like that. Um, this one, like I said, it just feels more like an homage to the 80s. So there's some minor inaccuracies there. Oh, so finally, after having said all that, folks, I'm going to do a complete 180 and I'm going to say I fucking love this movie. I had an absolute blast watching this movie. Despite all the shortcomings that I have with its historical inaccuracies, I'm going to forgive all of it because ultimately the second half of this movie is an absolute thrill ride. I love this villain. I love the fact that we get to spend time with the villain before he becomes the quote unquote villain. So there's a little bit more of an emotional attachment to the character. I love the relationship with the sisters. That felt very organic to me. Nothing really too overly overblown about that. Um, really all the performances in this movie. I, I wish there was a little bit more of even some of the characters that weren't in it as much like Nick Good, who, you know, later on becomes the town sheriff. I We didn't get as much of him as I thought we were going to get. And he's a character that I ended up kind of liking, you know, kind of flip-flopping on him for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, the kills here, we get just as much gore, maybe even a little bit more than you got in part one. Some of the best head chops I've seen, CG head chops anyway, let's go with that. Some of the best CGI head chops I've seen in a very long time. The sound design, I especially want to recognize the sound design. I thought the sound design for this movie was spectacular. The squishy sound effects of all those head chops really nailed it. Um, 
And like I said, ultimately, it's a movie that leave, that left you wanting more. And that's a rare thing for me, especially for a movie that's almost two hours. I walked away feeling way more excited for the third part than I was for the second part after finishing part one. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to end my general thoughts on saying that despite all the shortcomings that I spoke about, and I will continue to speak about them as the episode goes along, especially when we get to the spoiler section, I highly recommend this film. Uh, this was a very fun film. And, folks, I will absolutely recognize that I might be biased in the fact that I like this more than part one because the aesthetic works more for me. I enjoy pop culture a little bit more. But um, there's some elements of this soundtrack that uh, we're going to talk about a little bit later that I want to point out that I think was very masterfully done. But, yeah, for now, I'll leave it at that. I loved it. Who's next? Well, uh, keeping up with the normal rotation, I'll say, Don, you're next. What did you think of part two? All right. Uh, I am not going to echo Venom's, um, you know, Venom against the style and aesthetic um, scene is how I'm, you know, completely unfamiliar and alien to that kind of uh, aspect of the film. So I can't echo his sentiment, but I can echo almost everything else he said. I had so much fun with this. This is a blast. Uh, he's correct. I love the, the sister relationship. He's absolutely correct. Again, the second half is just a fun over the top slasher throwback. I just I have a few small niggling complaints, and one of which was something that I brought up at the end of uh, the 94 review. Um, so I'm going to save that for later just because that may be a spoiler. But yeah, um, I have nothing much else uh, to add about this. Um, he's absolutely correct. And the slasher throwback is fun. It's energetic. It's brutal as hell. And some of the deaths are just amazing. I was a shocked that they actually knocked off it. who they did in the order that they did because I had a few that I called completely wrong and I'm usually far better at it so you know kudos on that but yeah um, like I said the few small complaints aren't that bad one of which I mentioned at the end of 94 but yeah I don't have much else to say about this one give me 66 <laughs> all right well then Next up, we'll go to our guest, Lacey. And uh, Lacey, since, you know, obviously if you watch part two, then you were to watch part one and not being on the show last week, you can go ahead and share some uh, brief thoughts on what you thought on Fear Street part one, just so we kind of know where you're going or where you're at coming into this one. So take it away. Um, yeah, see, for me, like, obviously, if you guys know me and heard me babble on, Scream is my favorite movie of all time, next Johnny Darko. Um and, you know, this the, 94 was very Scream-esque. And I think after the dust settled a little bit, I, I felt when I walked away from it, I was a little disappointed because it wasn't just like a straight-up whodunit slasher. Um, it had more of a supernatural element to it, um, but it still gave you all of the, you know, slashing that you needed. And there's some really cool kills. Um, and I think that, you know, the cast, you know, with Maya Hawk being in it, um, the opening sequence of that, I think that what perf what a perfect actress to get for that, in my opinion. Um, 
I, you know, she's relevant. She is a product of the 90s, I believe. So um, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought I thought that was really smart casting. Um, I love the homage of, you know, being in the bookstore. I remember be going to the bookstore as a kid in the 90s, picking up Fear Street books, you know. So um, it's definitely I feel like this, you know, is probably geared towards maybe around my age, but then also appeals to the younger audience as opposed to the sequel. Um, you know, it, it is a very young adult and R.L. Stein is a young adult writer so or author so i think it works well in my opinion um after like i said having some time away from it after you know my initial disappointment i started to go back and think about it and i actually really did like it and i ended up giving it a five on cut to the chase if you want to hear my full thoughts um i did cover it on there as well um so i don't want to take up too much time talking about it but i really did like it i mean that that, that whole grocery store mm -hmm. um i think that just really sold it for me um it was just a really cool uh moment in cinema for this year for me even though you know it's direct to netflix and i really love the fact that this is an event it's three weeks three different films but they're all connected and i love films that have, you know, the connectivity, like when Paranormal Activity connects together. I always think mm -hmm. that's really cool. Um, anytime a film can do that, um, and obviously you know that they're going to, when this first came out, I didn't know that it was going to be this connected. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be like three separate stories, kind of like different books, but R.L. Stein was famous for, um, you know, having a couple trilogies in his repertoire. Um, you know, I think there's like a cheerleading one and the babysitters. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really cool. As for 1978, um, I have had some time away from it now. Um, it was okay. Um, I'm not as high up on it as I am 1994. Um, just because, I don't know, like I feel like sometimes when a director tries to trick you and it's so blatantly obvious I find it offensive <laughs> um you know with that a lot of people like to avoid trailers right and so you get like a little trailer for this one at the end of 94 mm. and it's like I was like okay like I don't want to get into spoiler territory but I was just like okay yep that's what's going to happen so and so and so like that's not going to happen they're alluding to that's what's going to happen and it does happen I don't know if I'm making any sense <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, it'll make more sense when we get into it. But, um, yeah, some definite uh, kills, killer soundtrack. Um, there's just, like, one whole aspect of this movie I just did not care for, like, at all. And we'll get into it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. I'm probably going to put it in my summer watch list, um, you know, coming up on summers, because I think it is that fun. But um, I, I'm not going to hate on it, Um Mr. Venom did mention that the runtime does feel a little long, and I have to agree with that. I remember I was like, yeah, I'm going to bang this one out. Oh, hour 50, shit. <laughs> um, and it does feel long at times because, like you said, um, nothing, the action doesn't really happen. Like, I feel like the opening started out pretty strong, and then there's, like, a lull. Yeah. And then um, it does pick up speed. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to echo that portion of it. Um, I mean, that's about all I have to say, like, I'm not as high up, but I'll explain that why when we get into spoilers. Okay.
Okay. Um, as far as I go, I am kind of along the lines of Venom. I I actually like this one better. Now, uh, it's funny because I was going to kind of bring up um, one of Venom's points, like, would this have been more appropriate to be called, like, Fear Street 1982? Because mm-hmm. the whole summer camp aesthetic, I mean, I, I can't say it's exclusive to the 80s, but when you see the setup, you know, as of a bunch of counselors at a camp, I mean, it's pretty on the nose, like, what they're going for, and that's something we've learned to see as, like, 80s slashers. Now, I'm sure there's possibilities that we could dig up maybe late 70s movies that had that going on as well, but really, I mean, they're they're trying to timestamp here, so it, it feels like it should be called Fear Street 1982. Uh, with the soundtrack, you know, I, I, I was almost, with all these 70s rock songs, I was, like, waiting for the Devil's Rejects to show up at the camp. It's <laughs> Every time, like, you know, a random classic rock song came up, I was like, oh, here comes Otis, you know, about to murder some folks. But um, I, here's the thing. Both of them, yes, I, I feel like the running time was a little long. But on this one, I, I was actually a little more okay with it only because I felt the development of the characters, like uh, Venom, specifically to the sisters, I thought I actually appreciated it, liked it. It, it kind of gave their arcs, you know, more impact with what happens at the end for me. Um, I, I felt it was kind of true to the way, well, one possible truth would, you know, when you have siblings going off to camp or anywhere where, like, one's like a natural uh, fitting or natural actually fitting into the surroundings where because the other one's somewhat of an outcast, they kind of go overboard with like, you know, trying to be known as that. And I, I thought that dynamic worked. Um, and then, you know, you have all like your stereotypical counselor characters here. Um, you know, the badass, the, the goody two shoes, all that, all that stuff's going on, you know, the, uh, the, quote unquote leader who's there to enforce everything and make sure everything's correct or at least what everything's covered up when it needs to be mm-hmm. like he's the <laughs> one that handles the law he laid out he lays down the law or at least tries to make everything fair um you know and it, it's funny because i praised the first one for the kills and i still think that is like a high point in the first part but man some of the kills in this one like if it wasn't gore, it was just the sheer brutality. Like, uh, you know, I won't, obviously I'm not going to spoil who, but there's like an ax kill where it's like, I felt there was plenty, it showed plenty of it before it just kept going. And I was like, (laughs) huh, that's a, a, it's like interesting that they chose to do that. And that's not a complaint. That's like, just enthusiasm i don't ever show much in my voice enthusiasm but trust me I, I it is enthusiasm for how kind of far they went with the kills i agree with the, the beheading kill i was surprised it kind of showed you know for being a cgi yeah. uh, rendering i thought it was done pretty well i mean another aspect of where this should be almost 80s instead is I mean, the killer kind of <laughs> resembled uh, uh, the the getup of a certain entry in a 80s slasher <laughs> franchise. I mean, that seemed pretty on the In his defense, he did also look like a killer, a famous killer from a slightly older movie as well. 
I think you know what I'm talking about. I think about. it's safe to say because we mentioned it in 94, it's Baghead Jason. It's okay, folks. We've mentioned that in the first one. I was yeah. actually going with uh, Town the Dreaded Sundown. I know, but I know what Mike's that, trying that to beat around the bush with. I know yeah. Mike was beating around the bush trying to do that, so I was like, all right, fuck it. He was in part. He was in 94. Let's just cut to the chase, right? I, Sorry I, to borrow a phrase, Lacey. It just means I... I, I, I Lacey's I, like, that's my job, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, even though it, it probably would have been more accurate to say 82, I think if we just give it the fact, okay, it's four years early by calling it 78, I think they nail the aesthetic better than 94 did. But I also think that, you know, there is so much 80s, early 80s slasher nostalgia out there already. It's like the blueprints, it's been there. It's like, okay, you can, it's so much easier to mimic by now that... You know, I, I, I just think it's more it's something we've all seen so many times. So when, as soon as you see the camp counselor thing, it's just like, OK, you already know what's going on for the most part. Uh, story wise, you know, I, I thought the story progressed well from the first one. Obviously, you know, it's a trilogy, so, you know, everything's not going to be solved by the end of this. But I thought it progressed well enough from where they left off that. Yeah, I I. I guess to just wrap up my general thoughts, I agree again with the point that I made that I this one left me more excited to go into part three than I was at the end of one to go into this one. So if anything, that's a good that's well, obviously it's good. But I think what it what it gives strength for is hopefully by the end of the third one, assuming that one is, you know, as strong or stronger than what you start getting in the discussion is kind of judging it as a whole trilogy instead of just individual, because if the trilogy ends strong, um, then you're kind of saying that it doesn't matter that you like the first one a little bit less. You're going to kind of hold it up as a good trilogy period. So we'll see where it goes from here, but yeah, that's pretty much it for general thoughts. Yeah. I just, I, I, I mentioned during my general thoughts, how I really, really like this soundtrack a little bit more. Again, I fully understand that it might be biased. So I don't want anybody yelling at me that I'm an old fogey that likes 70 music, seventies music better than 90s music. I might just yell at you because you use the word fogey. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do, I did want to highlight some of the really cool stuff that this movie was doing with music. Um, Something that they did between the first movie and the second movie, and they've done this a couple of times so far with these two movies, where they're using original songs and covers, the cover versions of those songs. And they're they're actually doing them expertly. I don't, uh, if you guys might have noticed uh, during part one, we heard Sweet Jane, uh, the cover uh, by the Cowboy Junkies, the cover of the original song Velvet Underground. Uh, guess what song we heard in this movie? We we got to hear Sweet Jane, the original version, which sounds very similar, by the way. Cowboy mm-hmm. Junkies didn't really do a whole lot to change it, but I thought that was really cool um, to do that between the two movies. But then the filmmakers turn around, they do the exact same trick, but they do it in one movie. And yeah. I'm sure uh, a lot of you Nirvana fans noticed the very first track playing in this uh, film is The Man Who Saved the World by Nirvana. Uh, um, and then the the movie actually ends with the original, the the man who uh, the man who saved the world by David Bowie. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I thought that was really clever because obviously the opening scene from the first of this film is '94. Still, we're, we're probably in '94 yeah. for what like a good five ten minutes. 
Um, and then the, when the movie ends, you know, before we actually get to the epilogue scene, you know, we're still in 1978. So they finish it with that, with the Velvet Underground original. So just, you know, little tweaks that a lot of people may not notice, but old farts like me will. <laughs> so I just wanted to point it out how cool it was. Another really cool thing they did. Um, did anybody notice the song that was playing when Nurse Mary attacks Tommy with the knife? The name um, of the song? I the, do you know it? Say it. I know. <laughs> I know what it is, but I... Uh, it's, uh, the name of the song is The First Cut is the Deepest by oh. Cat Stevens. Yeah, <laughs> I no, thought I... that was hysterical. <laughs> When we were watching it, I was like, hey, didn't Cheryl Crow do that song? <laughs> and there you go. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear the Cheryl Crow version in the next uh, movie. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I, yep. just little clever. It, it, it almost very reminiscent of James Gunn. I mean, regardless of how you feel about James Gunn and his superhero movies, his use of pop uh, songs from whatever era is masterful. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtracks are mwah, fucking impeccable. I love them. So, you know, to to see little tricks like that with the music and the soundtrack here, really, really good job. But with every good thing must come something negative. I'm very sorry to have to pull the old fogey card once again. Sorry, Lacey. <laughs> Anybody who lived through 1978 knows that the Bee Gees fucking ruled in 1978. The Bee Gees were the biggest thing in the world that year. They literally had six of the top ten songs from 1978. At you know, by the time the year was over, six of the top ten songs, um, both in requests and sales and everything, came from the Bee Gees. Even if you hated disco, you knew who the Bee Gees were. The fact that this movie takes place in the summer, the summer of 78, when you could not get away from the Bee Gees, and there's no Bee Gees references in this movie, uh, another, another little knock on the realism of this. Because, I'm sorry, when I went to camp, pop music was a major part of what people were talking about. You know, obviously some of the more how shall I say, normies, we're, do, we're talking about pop, and then me and my friends obviously are talking about heavy metal, smoking cigarettes in the corner, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it, it kind of bothered me, because when I hear 1978, like I said, folks, I lived through it, so please excuse me if I'm getting all, um, you know, crotchety about it. But, yeah, you could not fucking get away from that band in 1978, so... Kudos for what they did with some of the songs with the OGs and the covers and the, the utilization of some of the songs during certain scenes. But boo on you for not including the biggest goddamn band in the world at the time. I mean, next to Kiss, the Bee Gees were it. And yeah, I mean, we get a lot of really cool rock songs. Don't get me wrong. I love this soundtrack. I, I do have a complaint that there's only one disco song on the whole soundtrack. Um, and it's just what a random, uh, obscure song, Don't Leave Me This Way, which isn't even <laughs> one of the more popular disco songs from yeah. the era. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just an underrepresentation of pop culture is all I'm going at. Since so you're you, saying you would have uh, rather had... So go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, since you brought up sound, the soundtrack specifically, because it, it's mm -hmm. actually something I meant to bring up in general thoughts. Did you, did you feel with, the way I did as far as... it? the use of the soundtrack seemed to flow a little more in this part where in, in the first part it was almost like, because like nineties nostalgia stuff is newer. We have less of 
bit out there, which I well, think will start. Ch- well, I think it'll start changing over the next five, ten years oh, because sure. my age group is getting to that age where we're not me, but peer group is starting to like now we're becoming the directors, producers now. But right. um, it, it, in the first part, it almost seemed like you know in that first five, ten minutes, like they were really trying to use the soundtrack to drive home. Hey guys. In case you forgot, it's 1994, where this one felt just more like a natural, you know, music would be used like it would in any other movie. It kind of had the flow. It didn't feel like it was really driving the movie. It was just let's throw on songs when they would normally. I don't know. I mean, I I partially agree with you, but I also, like I said, I have to recognize my bias. Ultimately, I've been living my whole life with uh, movies with 70s songs in them. So they in general, they feel more natural to someone like me. But let's say to someone like Lacey, who, you know, grew up in that era and watched more movies from that era, maybe the 94 soundtrack flowed a little bit more natural to her. Obviously during part one, uh, our review for part one, I brought up that scene in the school where the, the nineties pop song kept changing every time the camera changed mm-hmm. and, and it was really infuriating me. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I also see, recognize I dug it. Ah, uh, see, that was just bugging. It's like pick no. a tone and go with it. No, <laughs> it because... was, it was jarring. No, I love it because, like, it's giving you inside into the character. You know, like, that's how they're What's feeling. The and I, I love... It was, just, it was just, like, the random people that were making out in the hall. People that we never saw in the film again. No, um, I, I mean, disagree. The, like, when it's playing, like, damn, I wish I was your lover, or whatever, by, um, whatever. Um, Sophia... Yeah. Oh, God, what's her last name? Uh, Whatever. You're um, asking the wrong guy. Uh-huh. No, uh, Sophie B. Hawkins. Um, that's who sings that song. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even know that was the '94 song. I thought that was like earlier than that. Uh, well, a lot of these songs, um, you know, that that's the issue. Like you're mentioning, um, you know, they didn't mention the Bee Gees. Well, some of these songs like came after '94, um, so it doesn't necessarily make sense to have them in there. But I really loved it. Like, I love, like, them playing Creep. And I don't know. It just, it felt like I was going through emotions of the characters. Like, because you're a teenager. And one minute you're hot, one minute you're not, one minute you're upset. Like, there's so many, like, adolescents and it's coming of age. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I think I because you live through it, because that's the music that you enjoy, I think that's you're getting that comfort food feeling from mm-hmm. those songs. You hear the songs, endorphins are released in your brain. It's like, oh, I remember that. That's awesome. That's kind of the same way I'm looking at this soundtrack. It, wh- whenever I hear uh, Carry On Wayward Son, yeah, I, I drop everything <laughs> and I listen to that song. That song has my full attention every time it plays. So, you know, th- that's what I mean about the age difference here, the generation gap, if you will. Um, certain movies are going to speak more to certain people. And I appreciate the fact that 1994 is going to speak more to somebody like Lacey than it speaks to me. So that's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to check my bias and, you know, cause I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as possible with my reviews. Yeah. Obviously I'm, I'm talking about how much I love this stuff, but um, you know, I, I also want to make sure that I'm trying to portray what people are going to get from these films if they haven't watched it, if they're even still listening to us because we're in the spoiler section. Most people listening to us right now have probably already seen it. So I'm, I'm just trying to kind of balance my bias for the actual merit of the film, if that makes sense. Yeah. And to, to clarify, maybe I don't know if I was 
exactly clear what I meant because, you know, 94, I was, these are my teenage years too. I, my issue with the soundtrack of the first one, it wasn't the song selection itself. Cause yeah, all those songs elicit early teen, mid teen memories to me too. I, I didn't have a problem with the actual songs themselves. I just thought the way they were used at certain times in the movies, it was just like almost rapid fire. Like this is our big way to timestamp this movie because it's, it's, it's newer doing nineties nostalgia and we don't, the craft of recreating the nineties isn't as sound. And, you know, it's not kind of out there yet as the eighties is where everyone can, you know, every, every movie that's supposed to be the eighties, there's the obvious go-tos that they all all do (laughs) where it seemed like in the, the fear street it was almost like well this is our biggest tool at our disposal to to timestamp, and we're gonna rapid fire songs at certain points where it's just like whoa like okay i like i get it you can you can use a song in this scene and uh instead of like you know the constant barrage but and where you know and then in this one it didn't it seemed like they went away from that and more just did the more traditional like here comes a, a song to go with the scene it, it, it just seemed like a different style and i don't know if if that was like why it changed it, it's not a complaint that they changed sure the, it's just i i just it seemed like a noticeable difference in how they incorporated music i think it was the pacing uh you know the first film is a lot faster and this one's more toned down and slow I mean, the first one gets to the action a lot quicker, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I agree. Like I said, I'm the one who said it. The first half of this movie is pretty much all character development, other than like the first five to ten minutes, which is basically a uh, direct continuation of part one. But, um, you know, not, ultimately, not everybody is going to be as is going to have as big an issue. I think part of the reason I might like this one a little bit better is because of some of the time that we spent with these characters, because ultimately, I've always said the more time that you spend with the character, the more you care if they live or die. And ultimately I cared about just about everybody in this film, you know, to actually build sympathy or empathy for me is a big thing. And the fact that I actually wanted certain people to make it um, just kind of speaks to me that they did a really good job with that first 45 minutes, even though it was admittedly slow. So I'm agreeing with you, but I'm kind of saying I liked it for whatever it's worth. (laughs) All right, well, um, if we got our soundtrack talk out of the way, (laughs) that was like our extended general thoughts that we didn't know we previously had, I guess. And any Uh, movie that has a a double shot of Kansas, I will absolutely uh, get behind. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think both both of them had good soundtracks as far as the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Overall, I I think that the 94 soundtrack is very reminiscent of the time. I think those are... Some of the songs that they picked, despite me not really liking a lot of that soundtrack on a personal level, they were still good choices. I mean, you hear a certain song, it reminds you of the 90s. So the soundtrack did its job, regardless of whether I like the songs or not. Still a good Oh, and that's the other thing I wanted to mention about this movie. Aside from the licensed score or the licensed um, soundtrack, the score for this film was actually really well done. I, I, I made a joke earlier about this being very Friday the 13th-esque and sounding a lot like uh, stuff that, you know, Manfredini did early on with the Friday movies. But I actually really did like this score. 
Like even during the chase scenes, the more intense scenes, I thought the music was really well done. And during the more slower scenes when they would be utilizing something that sounded like Manfredini, I still it never really sounded like a ripoff necessarily. It just sounded like a nice homage, like it brought that, which is probably part of the reason why I get more of a 90s feel than a 70s feel. I mean, one of the many reasons, but still, um, yeah, I, I did like this score, too, a lot. Uh, and same with the first movie, too. Um, I remember the chase music in the supermarket was awesome. I remember actually rewinding it and re-listening to it because I thought it was really well done. So, yeah, overall, between both movies, both the scores and the soundtracks have been really, really nicely done. Probably probably the one thing most people can agree, you know, is is uh, a pro. Yeah, and I, I guess the advantage of... I, I, I know for 94, we kind of, like, looked into, like when some of the songs came out but i guess the advantage of using a year close to the end of the decade is you could use any song like up to that point if you're trying to stay accurate where if since 94 is more towards the beginning beginning sure. slash approaching the middle of the decade it's like you can get like more yeah. uh, meticulous about like what you have to choose well i can I, definitely I, I, I didn't know if that is that runaway song all the way in 78 or was it earlier than that or do you even remember oh no she's songs aren't from 78 a okay, lot yeah, of them are yeah because so, i know yeah. man who sold the world was not so, so yeah i mean that's kind of like to the point 78 they could use anything leading up right right they had more of the decade to play with than 94 did i i got what you're saying yeah yeah um all right well unless anyone has any more general thoughts that doesn't require spoiler talk uh, i guess we can get into spoilers now Is that that the new spoiler warning alarm? I love it. (laughs) All right. All right. So I got. Well, I got. I got one first. Who else was pissed off at the identity switch? Oh, but that was so predictable. That's what I was talking about. That was predictable. I didn't catch that at all. Oh, it was so predictable because, like, in all right, so it was very blatantly obvious because in '94 it says C. Bergman. Like, why are you not like saying her name? Like, I get it, you're reading a newspaper, but then like you go into 1978, and then clearly there's this bitch named Cindy, and then you have this other chick named Ziggy, um, and clearly that's a nickname and. The thing that got me is, so, like, in the trailer of 1978, like, it alludes to, like, so the whole thing is, like, she says that I lost, my sister died or whatever, that's the night my sister died mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And But in the trailer, it kind of shows Ziggy, you know, like, getting her back broken or something, and it looks like she's going to die. Um, well, it's so, the scene at the end where, well, I'm saying it's the scene at the end where she, where her back is slashed by the killers. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, so it's showing, like, so it's alluding to the fact that they that you think that is her the one that's not telling the story, not Jillian Jacobs. And it was just so blatantly obvious to me because why are they just using an initial, and it never says her name until you know that reveal. And it was just really obvious. I was like, that's definitely her. And the other chick was so stale in her acting. Emily Rudd, I believe, is her name. Mm-hmm. Um. I just, and she was, like, trying to act like Jillian Jacobs, and I don't know. Like, it just didn't fit, flow for me. That was one major downside, and I thought it was too obvious, and that's what I mean about a director trying to trick you. And I never caught that at all. I was completely thrown by it. Uh, it I pissed was, me the fuck yeah. off. It was so basic. 
I, I honestly, it didn't piss me off. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to say it was the most surprising thing ever because I was kind of expecting it. But honestly, I was just going with the hair color because older Ziggy was a brunette and obviously young Ziggy's a redhead, a very fiery redhead. So, you know, unless she's dying her hair as an adult, I figure that hair was going to stay red forever. So, you know, I, I guess I went with the more obvious. I, I think I went the route the director wanted us viewers to go down. You know, because they even have the shot where uh, they kind of do the Saving Private Ryan shot where you see uh, older Ziggy and then it fades into uh, young Cindy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't look at Saving Private Ryan and be mad that they tried to trick me. I mean, that's kind of oh, the whole point well, thanks for of spoiling a movie that. is to keep you on your – what's that? Thanks for spo- spoiling Saving Private Ryan. I haven't seen that <laughs> It's not Tom Hanks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, I just had to. I just had to take off my headset because I haven't seen Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, see, I haven't seen it either. Thanks for spoiling. Jesus, I spoiled the 26-year-old movie. What an asshole! (laughs) Anyway, hey, I was smart. Took my headset off. (laughs) Anyway, um, I honestly, I I was not upset about it. I don't get mad when directors try to quote unquote trick you. I mean, that's kind of. I'd rather that than get a basic bitch movie that I can predict the entire way. That's boring. Um, But I mean, I I don't look at it that way. Ultimately, a director is trying to keep his viewers on their toes. Um, You know, it's no different than any murder mystery with six different red herrings in it. I'm not going to get mad at that director because there's a bunch of red herrings in there. So, yeah, ultimately, I'm okay with a little swerve at the end. Yes, was it predictable? I agree with Lacey there. It is mildly predictable. Obviously, it was incredibly predictable for her, but the clues that I was looking at, um, you know, obviously, I was thinking the way the director wanted me to think. But ultimately, yeah, I, I had no problem with that, ultimately. I I, I like both performances. I, I know... Um, Emily Rudd comes off as a little dry in her performance, but I think ultimately that's the character. She's the goody two-shoes, the virgin, the blah, blah, blah. I do like that swerve, too. The fact that they set up our virginal final girl, and then she's not our final girl. I mean, it's it's tiny little swerves like that that really, you know, it, it's not going to be the... Um, the final straw uh, for if this movie's good or bad. It's not going to be the ultimate um, aspect of the film that you're judging, but it, it little light, tiny touches like that I'll take, especially when I don't necessarily see them coming. Um, so yeah, I, I guess for whatever that's worth, I was okay with it. I had more of an yeah. issue with no beaches. With what? With what? <laughs> no beaches. Oh, that was I'm telling you, I'm you not, not that guy. Fuck that. <laughs> so you were saying that you would have wanted them to play I Love the Nightlife as the opening song for them to go out into the wilderness for their oh, game? Oh, hell no, hell no. But um, could, imagine, like, Jive Talking starts playing right after the girls are messing with her. You know, right after the bully yeah. scene where they practically hang her and fire and set her on fire. It's like if Jive Talking started playing right there, hell yeah, I'm down. Yeah, like I said, I don't even necessarily need a song shit. so much as a reference. Like one t-shirt even. Like, like I'm not kidding when I tell you every third kid had a Bee Gees t-shirt in 1978. I can't overstate how popular they really were. So, like I said, it's just very obvious that whoever made this movie wasn't actually from 1978. And ultimately, it's a minor gripe for me. I know I'm harping on it, but it's it's what I do. Sorry. Venom, <laughs> um, you lived through 1978. How popular were the Bee Gees 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they had a couple of hits. <laughs> night fever. <laughs> See, uh, night fever. That works. Right, right after, uh, right after Tommy gets possessed the first time. Bam, night fever. Ah, oh, I'm writing the movie for him. What the hell? <laughs> so, do you think the cop's gonna have to have a full circle arc, like by the end of it, where he actually I would like imagine, decides? Yeah. I mean, that's what they're probably setting that up for so even in part three we're probably eventually going to get back to 94 i would uh, imagine that's going to be like the last the, the last scene of the whole thing like you know they'll they'll do whatever they're going to do in 1666 but yeah they'll come back to 94 and figure out a way to finish it or who knows maybe they won't finish it and they, they'll do more movies or we'll get a netflix series or something i don't know who knows what these maniacal geniuses have under their hat planned for us in the next few years Part four, 1967. I'm telling you, I mean, if this thing is popular and it gets people to subscribe to Netflix, they'll keep it going. I mean, hell, we have nine Fast and Furious fucking movies, for God's <laughs> sake. Lacey, did you, did you read the Fear Street books at all? Did you not hear me in yeah. the opening? <laughs> so pay attention when we speak. Was no, this... How much was this based on the actual? No, this is a complete separate. Like, there's like elements like so. Like Camp Nightwing is uh-huh. the camp that was in um, one of the oh. books. Um, Shady Side is the town uh, is the real town of Fear Street, and Sunnyvale was uh, the opposing town. So those uh, are very consistent with the book. Um, the the stories all take place. And Shady Side. It's a different story in every book. Like I said, there were some trilogies in there. Um, I think there was even a four-parter, but I can't remember which one. It's been a long time. Um, the book that you see in the opening, The Wrong Number, that's a real book. Um, but the story is completely, I think it's kind of like a mashup. It's been a long time since I've read some of them. So um, I remember reading like The Dare and things like that. But um if I'm not mistaken, I, well, I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but I don't know since they're not actually, like, based on, like, an actual book. This is, like, a brand new story. Mm. Um, I know that he's kind of famous for not-so-happy endings, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was just wondering, like, man, if, if this series or trilogy ends up, you know, popular enough for Netflix's liking, if they, like, start adapting specific books going forward just doing more you know generalized fear streets or do with like other young teen horror properties whatever other ones were around at the time um i don't even know what else was around back then because oh like christopher pike books um you know oh uh who else um uh, V.C. Andrews. I mean, she was before that, I believe. She did, like, Flowers in the Attic. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Pike did yeah. the Remember Me series. Um, you had uh, L.J. Smith, um, who did, like, the Vampire Diaries. Um, mm. And then you had, like, your J.R. Tolkien's, obviously, for Harry Potter was... I think that was 90s when those books came out. But, yeah, those were some of, like, the big authors that were around when... What I was reading in the 90s, anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I think I remember reading like a Hardy Boys book. You remember those? Oh, ones? like the Boxcar Children. Yeah. Nancy I, Drew. Nancy Drew. I I don't even remember what the book series was, but I remember something about like a haunted attic or something. Um, but you know, I show I I got into Stephen King pretty early in 
my youth. So I kind of like I, I think I mentioned on um, our episode last week, I kind of skipped over like the young teen reading just because because I had I had a relative that collected Stephen King books. It's like she was handing them off to me. It's such a young age it's from at the time it was kind of hard to go from like reading pet cemetery to be like okay now let me check out this goosebumps book like it it didn't like i to me like goosebumps is what you normally or naturally read beforehand but it's hard to go the opposite direction because it just you know obvious reasons it's hard to go back backwards but yeah I, I, no, I still read adult books or young adult books. Young adult books. <laughs> yeah, like the whole Pretty Little Liar series, Sarah Shepard. Um, and she had a that those are all like free form shows, but Pretty Little Liars was good. But the show like is completely separate than aside from characters names. Did you read? Did you read Sweet Valley High? I did. I <laughs> even read um, God, The Babysitters Club and The Little Sister. Oh yeah. Um, they made a, a Babysitters Club show, I think, for a while. Uh, there was one in the 90s and then one that came out on Netflix like a year ago. The Sweet Valley High actually had the twins, uh, the Daniels twins uh, from Joe Dirt, uh, Brittany Daniel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I Like, I'd never seen it, but I remember ads because I think I watched, what was it, like WB or UPN or one of those networks. I, I, I would always see commercials. It was bad. I have season one on DVD. <laughs> not but being covered on the next cut of the chase guys. No. let's get back into 78 guys um one of the things that i just really irked me about it um i did not like the joan jet look like character she was a little out of place she didn't really feel like she was truly punk rock right uh she's another character that kind of feels more early 80s than late 70s but. kind of a forced character like you she, Even she her kinda, boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. She like, kinda, I hated her. Hated her. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I didn't love her or even like her that much. But I mean, she played a part. She, you know, I think she played the part that she's meant to play. Not necessarily someone who's ultimately likable, since she's the one who kind of gets Cindy and everybody into all these situations with her stupid curiosity. But I don't know. It it, it it was just, like I said, it was just another character that felt out of place for me. I didn't necessarily hate her. I just thought they, it, she could have been portrayed a little bit better. Like, I just, I really wasn't a big fan of the, I think it took too long, like, in the caves. Like, that's where it yeah. feels, like, really long to me. And, I, I agree with that. I agree like, with that. That's kind of where the pacing just died it, a little. Yeah. Like, I think they could have got to the point a lot quicker. Um. I don't know, like, when she, like, breaks her leg, okay. Um, <laughs> and then she's like, you just walked around in a circle. Like, that's not needed. Like, we know, like, you're stuck down there. Like, all you have to do is say, like, I can't find my way out, and then cut to the shitter part. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it, there was too much for nothing. No, that's valid. There's definitely some running around. Um, it, I, I almost felt like they, those scenes were in there more for filler because of what was going on in some of the other scenes. Because when those scenes were going on, when the two girls were walking around that kind of subterranean area, uh, that's when uh, Tommy was... Wait, Tommy? Was that his name? Yeah. Thomas? What was our killer's name? Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. Um, I should know that by now because there's two characters in here that are have the same name as Friday the 13th characters, Alice and Tommy. But that's... Uh, 
that's just my brain again uh, recognizing things that probably aren't even there because it's not like Alice and Tommy are <laughs> obscure names or anything. But I, when I hear the name Alice, I think of one Alice, and it's not the one in Wonderland. And when I hear the name Tommy, there's only one Tommy I think of, and it's not the Who album. So yeah, Alice Johnson from from Dream Street. Masters, <laughs> Dream Masters and Dream Child. That's the Alice yeah, I think exactly. of. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, I mean, I, I'll agree with Lacey on that one. There's definitely uh, a little bit of filler in here. Um, most of it in the first half of the movie, but there is still some even during the, you know, the action-packed second half. Yeah, the whole I, thing with the moss was weird. That moss what? was... The moss, that red oh. shit that was growing underneath the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> they called it moss, and I'm like, what the fuck kind of moss is red? <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> Yeah, infected, nasty kind you don't want to be around, I guess. So, oh, and how, yeah, if if that was a summer camp and that area was basically the latrine, so everybody's pissing and shitting down there, there would be an entire ecosystem of animals down there. Did you notice there was not one insect, one snake, one rat, one anything? It was the cleanest uh, sort of, you know, um, place where shitter it's the lowest shitter. Yeah. <laughs> Like the, the, the sewer, one of the cleanest sewers, maybe not clean, but it's like instead of shit, it, it was all moss, which they never really explain. They don't give us any kind of supernatural explanation or anything. It's just this random red moss growing where everybody's shitting. Well, you know, this was the last film um, that they shot. Uh, right. 60, they shot 66 but prior to this. And I guess like the director was like really burnt out by this point. She shot three films back to back to back. Um, so maybe that might be why we got less of a shitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that means 66 will be that much better when, you know, they were yeah. still written, you know, ready to go. I mean, like I said, I, I walked away liking this one a little bit more. I, I see all the shortcomings and gripes that everybody's talked about. I 100% agree with. Um, but you know, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. I, I still had a okay time with this story. Not too many elements of it bothered me. Um, great head chop, great axe kills in general. I mean, we had like the Halloween the, killed kid, or not? Yeah, you know, oh, the, the Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's Halloween, not Halloween kills, but like it just flowed better to say it that way. <laughs> I, uh, and then, the, yeah, and then there was a Michael Myers um, guy at the end when all the serial killers showed up. One of mm -hmm. them looks like Michael Myers. Yeah, but, hmm, interesting. I was thinking that too. And yeah. I said, am I just imagining that he kind of looks like Michael Myers? Exactly. I mean, the homages in this are not easy to miss. I mean, there's a, there's a few of them. Um, at, at one point in the movie, when Nick says, when he's talking about the next Stephen King book, if I if if my dates are correct, then the book he's talking about is The Shining. Uh, that oh. came out in '78. And if you notice, uh, Tommy walking around with the axe looks very reminiscent of a certain Mr. Torrance from The Shining. So, you know, multiple yeah. uh, references there. There is that where... moment to where he puts the axe through the door. Yep, exactly. Um, he doesn't peek through it, but, like, it's definitely, like, a Shining-esque moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're like, we, we want to get right up to the point of getting sued and back off. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I much more enjoyed watching Ziggy's journey as opposed to Cindy's story, um, her journey. Um, I don't know. It was just really, I really liked her and Nick's whole relationship that they had going on. Um, I thought it was cute. Um, 
and he's helping her. Um, the camp counselor was like, that's a camper. And he was just like, I don't care. And then, um, but he helps her with the prank. And um, I just thought that was cute. Um, you know, I, I just, I just really enjoyed her story arc a lot more than Cindy's. It was just that much more believable, felt more organic, you know? Well, we were all I, angsty teenagers for the most part, so... Well, and I, I think, I think the, de- the development of Nick and Ziggy's kind of, like, you know, their friendship, which kind of turns into somewhat, I guess, summer, summer relationship, it kind of adds to the impact at the end when he kind of, like, betrays her when she's like, oh, it's all true, and obviously he has, like, future in mind when he's like oh no just delusional or whatever I, I can't remember the actual dialogue but he basically said you know just goes with uh the standard answer of like oh no there's an explanation for it because future aspirations to be <laughs> mr sheriff yeah leaves ziggy hanging <laughs> Wait, yeah which i mean and that's the main point where i'm like okay because they make a point that that character as an adult is in the uh, trilogy so I'm like, all right, that's coming. That's going to be the, the Han Solo, I'm out of here, kid, and then shows back up to, like, help. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Which but sister I, did you like better, Don? Uh, personally, I was always drawn more to Cindy. That was more the type that I was interested in growing up. The good girl. <laughs> oh, the good, cute girl next door, you know? Nothing well, she looked that. like... Well, she, you know, she dressed nicer. She, you know, mm-hmm. she looked a little bit more attractive. She, you know, she, she made an she effort, put herself basically. together a little more. Yeah, she looked like she had more, like she put herself together a little bit more. Sure. I can, I can, I can deal with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I and I mean, then her arc, you know, by the end, she kind of shows that, like, oh, maybe I should have been having more fun and not been so wound and so uptight. Well, I- well, I think she used to have fun. I think that's what that was alluding to. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she was. That's what I'm saying. She was more. She was more like her sister, but because the family struggles, she had to mature a lot faster than she probably wanted to. And it, she just went the wrong way and just became such an ultimate stick in the mud that she didn't have any fun at all. So you like the stick in the mud type of girls, is what you're saying? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's the stick in the mud attitude so much as just a girl who knows how to put herself together. And like I said, yeah. never, blah, blah, blah. Nothing wrong with Ziggy's look either. All natural redhead is quite okay with me. But now I, I understand Don's point. There's something to be said about uh, a girl who looks like she, well, makes an effort. Sorry, I keep repeating myself. <laughs> what did you guys think of the bully? She was hey! She was hot as fuck. I, I mean, yeah, she was, as far as uh, looks go, yeah, there's no denying that. But, I mean, as far as her characterization, mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought it was a little weak. Um, not to say that I wanted to see her be more aggressive than she already was. I mean, she practically set, uh, you know, well, Ziggy on fire. Well, that's the one thing with that one is that they always tend to put bullies as people that are just, just two steps shy of committing criminal offenses. And they think that's bullying people. When they're actually just, you know, one step away from committing assault or violent crimes or something. Oh, yeah. Like, she literally set a lighter to her arm. You could probably have very, very, very easily thrown her in jail for just about anything that she did. And that's like the, to me, that's like the one thing that I'm not a huge fan of when it comes to bullying is that, that 
putting that much effort into actually physically harming someone mm-hmm. is not realistic. It's, yeah. you know, you know, a lot of it is, you know, physical bullying, you know, just shoving somebody down or knocking them to, you know, knocking stuff out of their hands or, you know, insults and taunts and stuff like that. That's more realistic bullying. Not, you know, setting mm-hmm. a lighter to somebody's arm, not hanging them from a tree and, you know, about to, you know, kill them. Or yeah, well, like that. that's not. Well, I think it was the aspect of burn witch. Yeah, if if anything, you could, I would say you could justify someone being, because, I mean, there are fucking crazy people out there that would take it that far. It's more, it, I would I would add to that and say it's almost the reaction by everyone else because there are the other girls that kind of like once she gets to the point of burning they're like hey we were just supposed to scare her but then once it gets broken up by the head counselor and he's trying to kick uh ziggy out and i'm like uh what like what did well, she that's, even like deserve that that's that classism coming out you know he was a good so of course you know he looks at everybody from shady side as shitty so blah 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 but yeah, I 100% agree with Don's point about that, uh, the difference between bullying and crimes. I, I've said it for years. Henry Bowers in the It movies is not a bully. He's a sociopath. There's a major difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, once you're actually like causing an injury, because like, I guess a fight is different when it's like two willing people but like when a girl's damn near being tortured or yeah. the beginning stages of being tortured it's just like okay i guess you could justify her not being kicked out of camp but like wouldn't you have to heavily monitor her going forward to be like well she straight up burned this chick hung her strung her up by a tree we might have to like monitor her now and like <laughs> not just let her to her own devices like who like why are they so convinced that the minute they walk away she's not gonna repeat it because she was still kind of like jawjacking her like after like calling her you know it's not like she was like remorseful like oops like yeah maybe i went too far it was more just like yeah. well if she's a witch that's why <laughs> well uh the actress um her name is chiara ariella um she played sheila in this um she's had a really big year for 2021 um, she had two TV series come out, and I enjoyed them both immensely, one being Cruel Summer and then the second being Tell Me Your Secrets. Um, both are very twisty and very messed up, so I think I think she's going to go on to probably do some really cool things. Probably. Oh, she's got the look. I mean, she definitely could play. It's a terrible thing to typecast somebody like that, but, I mean, she definitely has that awesome standing bitch face. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could play an antagonist for a very long time. Oh, you gotta watch like Cruel Summer. She has three different looks in it. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I think I think she's pretty talented. I do. Nice. Oh, and kudos to this movie for not being shy about killing kids. Anybody who's listened <laughs> to my shows, you guys know how I feel about kids and them dying on screen. I am one hundred percent for it. And even though we don't really see acts go into flesh when it comes to the underage kills. The fact that they just decimated some of these, you know, 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. year old kids, cut them into pieces. Oh, my God. Kudos for having the balls to do that. And like and said, not, it, not even like stereotypical, like shitty kids that like yep. you would almost have the guilty pleasure of cheering being killed like the like these are 
purely innocent, like yeah. have nothing to do with anything. And yeah, we don't get the actual physical or we don't get the to witness, but you sure hear the sound effects of Oh yeah. Oh dude, <laughs> um, I was upset when he killed the the fat kid with glasses. I'm like, God damn, that was me in camp. Don't kill and him. He was like the first one. <laughs> yeah, and he did nothing. He literally did uh, that, that that was I mean, hey, you know, if you're gonna make an omelet, you gotta crack some uh, eggs. So I understand the mentality of getting rid of them. But it definitely felt weird that he was the first one to go. But you know, like I said, this movie kind of tried to subvert expectations at every you know at every turn uh, either with you know who our actual final girl was who the killer is at least well who the killer was for a little while anyway um but yeah uh you know i i, I did enjoy that along with many many aspects of this one but yeah fuck kids kill them all <laughs> kill them all kill them all one of us one of us oh uh <laughs> I did have a question. What did you guys think of the origin of the hood? Since we actually got to see the hood become his hood. It, was it corny? Was it cool? What'd you think? Oh, I thought it was cool. Like it wasn't, you know, uh, Dan mentioned it. So I'm just going to say what he said on our show. Um, he liked it because it wasn't like just Jason randomly finding, you know, the mask. This was given to him because it was, you know, she wrapped it around her, his head. Yeah, it was an def- attempt to defend her life, you know, to yeah. try to get the upper hand. No, I, I agree with Dan. I liked it a lot. Uh, the fact that it actually stayed form-fitting over his head after she tried to suffocate him with it. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I thought it was cool. And then he brought up the point, um, he was just like, well, how did he still have, like, he came back with the bag on his head after he died, um, after his head got chopped off. My explanation for that was, I think a lot of times ghosts, um, you know, come back and what they were wearing when they actually died. And because he hadn't actually died at that point up until his head got chopped off, he was still human, I believe. For the most part, I think so. I mean, even, I mean, eventually, I obviously, he got up even from the from the decap. Wasn't he one of the ones at the end, or was he not? Yeah, yeah no, yeah. He was, I think he was uh, the second. I think he chases them out of the room. I think that's why they go there. Yeah, that might be right, yeah. Because I do remember, and then at the very end, when they all come out, he's one of them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember. But yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with Dan. Uh, I thought, really good job with that, uh, with the mask and, you know, setting up the lore, if you will. I mean, what little lore there is. Basically, you know, Tommy, what was his name? Lister? Or something like that. Um, just went crazy one day. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have the the allure of saying a witch possessed him and, you know, he didn't know what he was doing and blah, blah, blah. It's definitely more of an appeal to that story than just flat. Oh, he's crazy. <laughs> Tommy Slater. That was his damn name. Slater. I should have known that. Cause I hate that Slater guy from that stupid 90s show. Tommy oh, AC yeah. Slater. Oh God. <laughs> hey, I think it started in the eighties, right? I don't know. It might have. I don't. I didn't pay attention to it. Young adult television for me never really did it. Even when I was a young adult, I, I never really watched the shows that were meant for my age group. You know, um, whatever the Dawson's Creeks of the '80s were, I don't even remember. I couldn't even you tell you. Stop it. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying anything negative about the shows. It's just they, they're not for me. I, I it's just yeah, yeah never really. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you love it, you love it. I, I mean, hey. I, I like way stupider shows than Dawson's Creek. I'll tell you that much. 
<laughs> what did you guys think about uh, that big death? Um, I love that scene. Ah, oh, the sisters? Is that what yeah, you're talking about? Yeah, I adored that scene. I thought that scene was really well done. It was painful. That's the scene I was talking about where I was saying that I actually cared. I didn't want to see, I mean, obviously because of the way the movie's set up, we know one of the sisters is going to die. If not, well, not both of them, but uh, at, you know, that one of them is going to die. Um, but the way that they did that scene in slow motion and making us watch every single ax chop going into her neck, uh, excuse me, chest, and then every single knife stab going into Ziggy, you know, that making us watch every... It was easily the most uncomfortable scene in the movie, but I thought it was masterfully done. I loved it. Was, it. it was pretty intense for, like, what, right, I, what I would expect in a Fear Street movie, to be honest. And that's not a... Like I said, yeah. it's not a complaint. It's just I was kind of, like, surprised as I was watching it and how drawn out it was. Like, it wasn't... It wasn't one of your like one or two wax dead move on to the next scene. It was like straight watch them sit here and get like Jackson. penetrated with an axe over and over. And you see the sisters kind of like looking at each other, almost acknowledging that like uh, we gave yeah. it a good run, but uh, this is the end. Um, you know, it they're kind of resigning to the fact that they're mm -hmm. about to die and there's no way getting out of it at this point. And damn, like it's it was a hell of a way to kind of end brutal uh, yeah for the most part end a movie and oh yeah it was yeah. It, i mean for a movie that was really just fun for the majority of the time i mean yeah we had some over-the-top kills but you know they, they were just fun kills but and I, that, I, I i think it was a good kind of it was it was a good kind of bait and switch i like because right before that I didn't like the older sister she kind of did the, you know, I'm going to sacrifice myself yeah. thing. Like, you uh -huh. take off running, I'll distract, I'll probably end up murdered. <laughs> so you kind of expect, okay, the big sister's probably going to die. I mean, there's always an outside chance she doesn't. But you, you expect, okay, the Ziggy is going to get away. Um, and then the oh. way it plays out is just like, uh, damn. Like well, the thing is that you knew it was going to happen because they set that up in 94, where, remember, they say that you, one of them was dead for several minutes and then they had to bring her back to life. Mm -hmm. You knew that was going to happen because that was what they said happened in 94 in the first mm -hmm. one. But they yeah. got they they got wrong who actually. Oh, no, no, she did die. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Her heart stopped. You're right. So yeah, yeah, no, they 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 telegraphed it definitely. They gave us all the clues. Just you know, some people are a little more perceptive because, like I said, I, I I didn't I tried not to read into it too much. Um, I tried not to pay too much attention when they showed the trailer at the end of part one and part two. Um, obviously, it's part of the movie, so I feel like I have to watch it. But when I realize what it is, I get all upset because. You know, everybody knows by now. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it by now. But, yeah, I don't want to know anything about the movie before I go into it. So I feel like even they though, mm -hmm. alluded a lot less for 1656, though. Very much, very much. And they also did a weird thing with last episode. Did you, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but um, when they showed the trailer at the end of part one for part two, I Will Survive was the song used in that trailer. But it was nowhere in the movie. Hmm. I found that kind of odd. I mean, it's a minor thing, but, uh, you know, I'm not even sure if that song was even out by 78. I actually think it's closer to 79. I'd have to look it up, but uh, I, I found it odd that they used it in the trailer and then it's not in the in the movie that comes out the very following week. 
odd choice, but what are you going to do? And then, of course, for 1666, you're not going to have licensed music. I mean, I don't Were there even American musicians? I mean, I I know there were European musicians, but were there even American musicians in the 1600s other than Native Americans, maybe? What kind of music do you think we're going to get the the church kind of music? I don't know. I hope hope it's all power metal because power metal bands always use those big orchestras. And then you can do like covers of Bach and Beethoven, whatever was popular in the 1660s. Huh? Huh? Do you think that the whole movie, like, okay, so the majority of this film took place in 78, right? And same with 94, uh-huh. but there were, like, the flashback moments. Do you think a big chunk of the movie is going to take place in 1666? I'm, I'm thinking it's the same setup as this one. It, the, the opening is 94, and then they're just going to flash back to what happens in 66 as 99% of the film, and then back in 94 to finish it off. I, yeah, think, I think we might get several years in this one. That, that's oh, we're going to get thinking. all three. We're getting all three, guaranteed. No, um, like, because there's so many other characters that, uh, oh, I you don't, know. I, I think you're right. I don't think they're going to pinpoint it, though. I don't think they're going to say, oh, 1974 or 1987 or whatever. You yeah, know because I, mean? I think because they're going to stick with their... Uh-huh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I, I agree with Lacey, I think, is what she was alluding to, that we're going to get you know, um, piece more pieces of puzzle from each era because though, especially the way 78 ended, you know, there's, it almost feels like there should be almost like a little bit of aftermath to everything that uh, to uh, happen and kind of fill in the mm-hmm. blanks between 78 and 94 to where we got to a couple of the characters that, you know, end up still in the 94 movie. Yeah. As far as 1666 and music, I don't know. Maybe some pagan style chanting like uh, Wicker Man or, you know, there's yeah, some crop dancing. Pretty... No, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, because I thinking... don't think it's going to be soundtrack free. free so oh, no, like, no. There's going to be music. I'm sure there'll still be 78 and 94 uh, tunes thrown in there that weren't used in the first couple of movies. Um, I was thinking because this movie ends with Nick. Uh, going to Ziggy's house. Remember, he got that cryptic message about the book club. It's probably yeah, Judy Bloom. There it is. Um, it's probably gonna start with Nick arriving at uh, Ziggy's house. The kids are obviously already there, and maybe it'll be Nick who actually knows about 1666, and it'll be him kind of quote unquote narrating uh, the flashback. Who knows? But I got I got a feeling that all th- all five, four. All five of them are going to be together by the end of the next movie. Nick, uh, Ziggy, and the three kids. Uh, we'll see. We only have to wait a week, which is nice. Less than. Less than now, yeah. Forty. Yeah. yeah, by the time this is out, probably true. a couple days. That's true. This this will probably get released the day before the next one comes out anyway. The next movie. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. All right. Well, um, looking I mean, over my notes. Yeah, I think that's everything I got. The only other little homage that I thought was kind of cute. Um, and again, uh, the, the, this old fart noticed it um, in the opening scene when uh, when we're at adult Ziggy's house uh, and the song playing is the, the Nirvana cover of the David Bowie song. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that uh, the, her, the name of her dog is Major Tom, which is very obviously a reference to, uh, you know, uh, the David Bowie song. So that that's kind of cute. Space Oddity. Yeah. 
pretty <laughs> on the nose with that one. Exactly. But yeah, wasn't well, that kind I, of where her name comes from, like Ziggy Stardust? Exactly. That, that's what I thought too. Big yeah, reference Ziggy. all over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could probably watch this movie two, three times and pick up different references. Um, you know whether they're accurate or not. Well, you know we'd have to see. But yeah, I mean, I you know I watched it twice this weekend. I tried to pick up as many of these little background things as I could, and uh, yeah, we we got a few. <laughs> Not quite as in-depth as uh, us, but still pretty good. Cool. Uh, well, uh, Dawn and Lacey, is that pretty much wrap it up for you? Is there anything else you wanted to, to bring up? I'm good. Yeah, I don't have much else. All right. Yeah, I mean, other it sounds like we're all pretty on board to varying levels and excited to see how this one wraps up. Uh, it should... I'm going to guess that it'll be our next episode again. <laughs> More than likely. Uh, there is something. I thought there was uh, something. Escape Room 2 week, opens but... in theaters. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know how horror that really is. Um, I know IMDb called the first one a horror, but the new one they don't. So I'm not sure if maybe the kills are ramped down or whatever. I don't know. But ultimately, I mean, I've got I've got the new Nicolas Cage movie opening out here in L.A. this weekend. Um, I haven't watched a uh, pig. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't watched a trailer, so I don't know if it's even horror or not. Most people are telling me that it looks like it's just pretty actiony. Um, but I'm down for some Nick Cage action too. So I'll be checking that out this weekend. If it does turn out to be horror, who knows? Uh, maybe the rest of you can figure out a way to watch it, but we'll yeah, see. Uh, I'll, I'll check to see if I'm getting screenings here, because if it is, I, I, I did see the trailer and I'm whether, you know, horror or otherwise, I don't care. It looks fun or, you know, the potential yeah. to be really fun. So I'm totally down to see it now. You know, we might not cover it, but I don't, Sure, I want to watch it anyway. <laughs> Nick Cage is having yeah, a good uh, cult enough few to, years. So. Looks to be cult enough to fit onto my site, so I'll cover it at some point. Nice. And I just love bacon, so I'm in. <laughs> uh, all right, well, speaking of covering movies, let's find out where everyone else or everyone can listen to everything else we do. So, Venom, what do you got since we last recorded? Uh, unfortunately, I only got one thing to talk about, and that is, of course, the main show, No More Room in Hell. Uh, we recently recorded an episode this past weekend with our friend Donna Nelly, um, our third host here for Fresh Cuts, joined us for what? Like, Was that your first time on the show, Don, or second? And, uh, well, the first time was the commentary for um, Blood Rage that we did for Thanksgiving, but that was ah, the first time on the main show, gotcha. actually doing a review. So Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so that episode hopefully will be out in the next, probably as this episode is out, I'm sure the, that one will be out. And on that one, we covered Derek's picks, which were uh, two Bruno Mattai movies uh, directed under the, uh, the pseudonym Vincent Dawn. And those were uh, Island of the Living Dead and Zombies, The Beginning. So, And those are both first-time watches for Mike and myself, so it was uh, definitely an interesting episode, especially <laughs> if you know anything about Bruno Mattai and his quote-unquote homages <laughs> to other films. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely turned out to be a fun episode. So, yeah, as soon as that drops, yeah, check that out, folks. That was a fun episode, and unfortunately, that's it for me, Mike. I feel, I feel podcast depleted. I'm not happy. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Uh, Don, what do you got? Um, all I've got, other than uh, Venom's aforementioned appearance on uh, the main show, um, is uh, the latest episode of Graveyard Shit, where we did a franchise retrospective on the Phanta- Phantasm films. Um, unfortunately, I mentioned last time that I was going to do a uh, guest spot on Cinema Attack, but uh, planning fell through. Uh, apparently, Derek decided to do a uh, seven-hour podcast with Duncan, and that kind of killed his energy. So we're going to have to reschedule my appearance for that show. But um, hopefully, we'll be able to work something out, and I'll be able to join him and uh, mention that when uh, it goes live. But uh, yeah, other than, uh, you know, the appearance on No More Room in Hell. Uh, the only thing I have is the uh, latest episode of Graveyard Shit. So, I, I I swear one time I will be able to get through you saying Graveyard Shit without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not today. But one yeah. day. <laughs> and uh, oh, you, uh, every time you say it, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time, going like, "Wait a minute, what did you just say?" <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and I also should mention that. Uh, I am in the middle of Shark Week, so I'm putting out a bunch Ooh. of shark reviews on my putting out a bunch of shark reviews on my website. So that's what she said. Shark. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched the Shark Week Jackass special. It was pretty good. Pretty good. It was more reminiscent of like Wild Boys, if anyone knows what that is. But lots of fun if you're into Jackassy stuff or Shark Week. It's a okay. mashup of both. Well, you guys know yeah, Jackass. They call. When a woman is like her time of the month, Shark Week, right? Yeah. <laughs> like so, anytime I'm doing Shark Week, like anytime a guy says it, like it, never mind. I feel like we got Dan Chase in spirit. All right, Lacey, what do you got for everyone to listen to? Um, excuse me, uh, just released episode six of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast. We talk about some camping horror stories, um, and then in our pillow fight (coughs) segment, we, um, debate the best deaths of Sleepaway Camp franchise, and then we cover Cheerleader Camp, and we also just recorded episode seven, but that won't be releasing until August 13th, but we covered, um... Um, we talked about situations that were most that we were most dangerous in, and then we talk about uh, we pillow fight over six of some of the Friday the Thirteenth sequels. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of debate the best of the worst there, and then we did a review on the Final Girls. So those will be coming out. Um, there's a bunch of Skip to the Lou interviews, um, and this is all under the Cut to the Chase banner, and Dan and I do the weekly cartoon show, Cut to the Cartoon Commentary, where we cover two cartoons every Saturday morning. Um, that's been a lot of fun to revisit, um, some of these classic cartoons. And then, obviously, we just did the Fear Street one, and there here's a little bit on hiatus until summer series stuff dies down. So, yeah. Sweet. I think you you took over for Venom's long list of shows to promote. Uh, <laughs> fit and writing. Yeah. I'm a busy girl. <laughs> All right. And as far as me, um, I mentioned it last time that it had recorded, but now it, it is officially released. The latest episode of Burning for Spring was up. So uh, Freddy's Nightmares talk. If that interests you in the least, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. But if it does... 
it's out. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those shows, right? You kind of have to be one of the niche fans of it uh-huh. to even be interested in hearing people talk about it in the first place. But if you are, it, uh, I think we're one of the only shows, if not the only one that's ever covered it. So, yeah, check it out. Um, and then other than that, yeah, probably scheduling the theme warriors sometime in the next few weeks once the summer series is in the rearview mirror mm-hmm. um and yeah like i said next week most likely uh fear street three i don't see any reason why it wouldn't be at this point so uh stay tuned for that but uh lacy thanks a lot for coming back it's been a while don't let's not make it take that long again because it's always fun having you on yeah thank you so much i appreciate it and it's been fun having guests on for two weeks consecutively. Yeah. So let's make that a habit as Oh, and before we go, folks, um, I, I just want to go ahead and plug Lacey's new show. Slumber Party Massacre is a really, really fun podcast. I, I've listened to five episodes so far, and they're some of the better times I've had listening to podcasts. I'm looking forward to your Friday discussion. I have a feeling I'm going to have a thing or two to say once that episode's out. But, yeah, um, check that out. It's really, really fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, I usually listen to it when I'm taking walks after work. It helps them, helps my walk in this stupid heat. It helps well, take my mind off of it. <laughs> well, Venom plays a pretty big part in episode eight, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Ooh, cool. Well, that's something else to look forward to. I'm getting right. my pajamas ready. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> all right. Well, with that said, that's going to wrap up the episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We will catch you in a week's time. Let's say bye to the listeners. Bye. Later. Later. Peace. Peace.